0: This is Archive Atlanta, episode 80, Avondale Estates. You're listening to Archive Atlanta, a history podcast where each week I'll be sharing a story about the people, places, and events that shape the history of the city of Atlanta. I'm your host, local tour guide, and total history nerd, Victoria Lemos. Hey guys, happy Friday. So over the last month, I have gotten more miles on my bicycle than in the last year total, and a lot of those rides have taken me into uncharted territory. DeKalb County. You laugh, but I swear to God, if you left me in DeKalb with no phone and no map, I have very little confidence I'd find my way home. So it's been really fun riding by things that I've talked about before, like the original Scottish Rite buildings or the Decatur Orphans Home, and actually seeing them with my own eyes. I've also fallen hard for Avondale Estates, and I mean, who wouldn't? So this week we're talking about the independent DeKalb City, the genius mastermind behind the whole idea and how the neighborhood housing stock covers two distinct periods in American history. Before Avondale Estates, there was Ingleside. In 1891, the Interstate Investment and Development Company bought several hundred acres into DeKalb County. They knew Atlanta was growing, and the rise of fashionable, aka white, suburban neighborhoods like the West End and Inman Park were happening all over. So to capitalize on the trend, they buy this land, and they market 300 lots for sale, at $25 a piece. And they sell it hard. Like I have never seen this level of marketing in my history research yet. Think along the lines of like, you know, get it while it's hot. Call now. Um, Ad after ad after ad. But the land is desirable. It's on the main line of the Georgia Railroad. It's along the trolley line and just miles outside of Decatur and Atlanta. And the ads say, quote, just near enough to Decatur to be friendly, and far away enough from Atlanta to avoid the bustle, noise, dust, and inconvenience of a great city. End quote. Because 12 passenger trains make daily stops here, it would be a perfect place for businessmen, mechanics, and or people who just want cheap homes. In a more liberal take, because it was 50 feet higher than Atlanta, there were no mosquitoes and no malaria. By October, they have their first sale with Mr. J.H. Dabney buying three lots and planning to build a $5,000 home. A hundred more lots are sold just months later. And then in a few years, ownership of the land is under Ingleside Land Company, which was led by Dabney, the first buyer, along with two partners. There's also a telephone connection established with Atlanta and a post office. So for the next three years, the campaign continues as more and more lots are advertised and new residents come to build their homes. A store was operated by a relative of Dabney's, uh, maybe a brother, and then there are two schools established. And that in itself is a weird story. So apparently the community was split on which teacher would be assigned to their school, uh, and no one could agree. And so to solve the debate, a judge ordered that two schools would open. One was led by Ms. Myrtle Powers, and the other by Ms. Maddie Hudgens. Before we get to Avondale Estates, I think we need to discuss the 1920s in Atlanta. World War I ended in November of 1918, and then the Spanish flu threat extended into 1919. And the 1920s were just like this decade of modern ideas and modern fashion and decadence and very much in response to the end of this really difficult decade prior. And side note, that's why I'm actually really curious to see what our next several years bring um, after suffering through this pandemic. Um, But anyway, Atlanta launched uh, the Forward Atlanta campaign, which I'm working on a mini episode about that. But it was basically a marketing campaign campaign to sell Atlanta to corporations and businessmen. And it really worked. National and regional headquarters um, headed south, places like the Sears headquarters, which is now Ponce City Market. And so for the first time, Atlanta's population is booming. And the 20s is when you see apartments, especially along Ponce de Leon, pop up like crazy. And this is also the time that Avondale Estates is born. George F. Willis was born in 1880 in Waynesville, North Carolina. And in 1904, he married Charlotte Bowers. They would have three sons, Francis, John, and Richard. And George made his fortune in patent medicines, which were the first major product that the advertising industry ever promoted. Think over-the-counter with little to no substantiation of medical claims. So first he created Tanlec, which was a stomach medicine marketed as a system purifier, which really means laxative, Uh, and he would sell that company in 1922 for a million dollars. And then he moved on to Zonite, which was an antiseptic. So he's a really smart businessman, and he's a really good salesman. And he realizes that the money to be made in Atlanta real estate development is so great, and he starts investing really early in the decade. According to Willis, to create Avondale Estates, he toured land all over the metro area. But the best and most desirable was here in Ingleside. He had a plan to create one of the first planned communities in the South, a model city suburb with residential, commercial, and recreation all in the same place. And he buys 950 acres in Ingleside for this new development. Just like the developers of Ingleside, he is lured as well by the train, the trolley, the bisection of US 78, and the proximity to Agnes Scott and Decatur. Included uh, among the landowners that he purchased from were Judge Candler, who ran a 400 cattle farm, and Benjamin Faulkner, who went on to be manager of Avondale Estates, and the father of Waffle House founder Tom. In order to gain acceptance of the current residence, Willis agreed to donate three acres of his new purchase to build a school that was being funded with a 1923 bond issue. This entire plan was going to take five years and cost just over a million dollars. Civil engineer O.F. Kaufman was hired to design the neighborhood layout, as he had also worked on some Druid Hill stuff and some Brookwood Hills. Robert Cridland was hired on as a landscape architect. In March of 1925, the official name change took place, and Avondale Estates was listed with the post office. This was a very strictly planned and purposeful development. The wealthy Atlantans were buying homes in Inman Park or Druid Hills, but for the middle to kind of upper middle class, Avondale Estates was masterfully marketed as their utopia. In 1925, the commercial structures were completed. And this is arguably the most iconic part of the neighborhood that everyone knows, even if you've never turned on one of the streets. And that was me. I had driven through occasionally and there is nowhere else in the metro area where this architecture is so true to the Tudor revival style. This was a super popular architectural style in the 20s and 30s, and I read that it was based on Willis's trip to England with his wife, but that didn't seem to really answer it for me. So I asked the expert, my friend, fellow podcaster, and architectural historian, Liz Clapin. Um, her podcast, by the way, is Tomb with a View, and she helped me understand that this Tudor style... It's also found in Morningside uh, and planned suburbs across the U.S., but it almost always had the English village style for these communities because, first, the English are credited with the planning model, but also this brick veneer technique meant that you could produce a cheaper wood frame house and then cover it with more luxurious brick. Willis was quoted as saying, I can see no reason why people should be compelled to do business in unattractive structures. And so he wanted the commercial section of Avondale Estates to match the grandeur of the homes. But also the uniformity of the block, the lack of mixing styles, it definitely led to that utopian uniformity of the development. Willis had to approve each shop owner before being leased space so that he would determine if they could quote, deal with people of the better class, end quote. And he did this even with people that were buying lots. I've read that he checked references, uh, you know, making sure that they were the right people that were going to live in his neighborhood. The Tudor-style commercial structures were designed by Arthur Neal Robinson, um, and they had shops on the bottom and then offices on the top. And the way that the buildings cut along when you turn into North Clarendon, um, it's a direct remnant of the streetcar right-of-way. So it's really cool to stand there, and it's very easy to visualize a streetcar coming around the corner. The original brick entry gate on Avondale Road still stands, and I think there was two of them, but there's just one left, um, and it very much signaled the start of the neighborhood. And it feels the same way 100 years later. You know, when you come through it in a bike or a car, it very much signals that you're entering this nice neighborhood. Willis was around to construct the first 50 homes in the historic district, so when you go further south into the neighborhood, homes range From really strict Tudor revival to just having one or two Tudor elements. The smaller houses are typically English cottage style. And the greatest thing about Avondale Estates is that in the year that it opened, so 1925, it hosted four of its homes as part of the Home Beautiful Show. Think open house meets, you know, house tour weekend. It was a hugely popular event. Of the seven houses featured, four from Avondale Estates were open to the public to see, and they ranged from $8,000 to $14,000. So they were, they were model homes. In a sense, they, they weren't occupied by residents yet, but they were fully furnished, decorated by the top designers in Atlanta, and they featured all of the fabulous things you could have in your home at the time. And this show in this year also served as kind of a grand opening for the neighborhood. So hundreds of cars filed in through that entry gate into the neighborhood to see these houses on Clarendon Avenue, Kensington Drive and Avondale Plaza. What's really cool is I think they had this House Beautiful show probably for the next five years in a row. So it would become a yearly event in the neighborhood. There was a nursery created by Willis that would grow more than 250,000 plants and trees. Um, Buyers of the lots in Avondale Estates would actually go to the nursery to pick out their plants for their yard. And then the landscape architect also used it to um, do stuff around the park and the lake. Just a few months after the home show, the Venetian swimming pool opened in Willis Park. Built into a natural depression in the land, it was fed by four natural springs that converged into one spot. And the water flow was strong enough to refill the pool three and a half times a week. Attached to it were 40 dressing rooms, a smoking room, and a refreshment parlor. There were stables on this property. Um, They were bringing in fine Kentucky horses for people to use, but also to put their horses there if they'd like. And there was horse trails throughout the neighborhood as well. Children's playground was built to cover several acres, and they were working on the new Lake Avondale was located in a woody, remote part of the land, as Lakeshore and Berkeley Street did not exist yet. Really, the whole area beneath Kingstone was remote woods, and the land wouldn't really be developed until after World War II. In 1926, Lake Avondale formally opened for bathing and water sports. Um, it was artificial, as every lake in Georgia is, but in the 1920s, it was pretty rare and pretty fancy to have an artificial lake available. Attached to this body of water, there was something called a bathing casino, which had room for 140 bathers, also a men's smoking lounge, a woman's sitting room, and kind of a general lounge, and there was a clubhouse built shortly thereafter. The most fascinating thing I learned in all of this research is that George Willis essentially brought the first home mortgages to the South— The idea of a mortgage originated in England, but in the United States, they do not become commonplace until the Depression. I think at the turn of the century, you had to put like 50% down to have a house, and it wasn't until people were struggling that we create the modern mortgage. But in 1926, Willis had a new groundbreaking idea, and that is that you can come down to Avondale Estates, buy a house with just 10% down, and then 1% interest tacked onto each monthly payment until the loan is repaid. And this would apply to any home in the neighborhood, the biggest and the smallest, and the goal was just to drive more purchasing of lots. In the same year, Willis hired the Flagler Company to construct 100 homes in Avondale Estates with the hope that that number would grow with demand. They would range from small six-room bungalows to two-story grand houses, all the way from about $7,000 to $20,000. And the thing is with these, We don't have architects listed because it's just doubtful there were any. Um, A lot of times when a construction company comes in, they're taking their plans from plan books. So somebody might come by the lot and then pick out a plan, Um, or maybe the construction company had one architect that they used. Another fascinating piece of history I found was that the Atlanta Women's Club, who has their own episode, um, had a junior lodge constructed in the neighborhood designed by architect Ten Ike Brown. He's my favorite Atlanta architect, and I had never heard of this place. I, I still could find so little information. I know it was built because they had a dedication. Um, as far as I can tell, the structure no longer exists, but if anyone living in Avondale Estates currently has more information, please let me know. It is described in the paper as being in the midst of a lovely pine grove, small but artistic, with one large reception room flanked by porticos on each side. And it had a view of Stone Mountain. Later on, there were articles about outdoor movie nights being held in a natural amphitheater just off Dartmouth Avenue in a glade adjoining Willis Park. George Willis, from the get-go, planned for this development to be an independent city with its own government. The city charter was modeled after one in Kingsport, Tennessee, and it was approved by the Georgia State Legislature in 1926. It would be adopted by the community in 1928, And the first mayor elected is Claude Pyburn, who would serve in that position for a decade. In August of 1928, Willis deeded all parks, sidewalks, sewers, water mains, lighting to the city of Avondale Estates. Interestingly enough, he provided for a way to have legal alcohol sales in the neighborhood, even though the whole country was under prohibition in the 20s. I think we all know the basic history of the stock market crash in 1929, which launched the U.S. into the Great Depression. And we don't have a ton of personal details regarding how this impacted Willis, if it did at all. But we do see that in June of 1931, all of the remaining lots and houses in the community are put up for auction. There are 19 still unsold homes, along with 233 residential and commercial lots. And it was really successful. I think the auction was supposed to be one day. It ended up running two days longer and prices went up as the days went on. Sadly, George Willis died the following year at just 53 years old from an unnamed illness. His services were held here in Georgia, but he was buried in North Carolina. He never actually lived in Avondale Estates, which I found so interesting. He had a home in Druid Hills, beautiful mansion on Ponce de Leon that was no longer there. Community officials work to stay as close to his legacy and plan as possible, and they continue to grow the community. In 1938, a theater came to the Tudor storefronts, and over the years, more homes are sold. In 1940, neighboring Decatur proposes merging both cities, and Avondale promptly rejects that idea. As World War II broke out in 1939, um, two years later, development pretty much comes to a standstill, not just here, but all over America. At this point, about a third of the master plan of the community was developed, and that was concentrated in the area between Avondale Road, Covington Highway, and Kingstone Drive. Both streets along the lake did not appear until after 1941, so again, it was undeveloped and rural there. During the war, you see uh, lots of wedding announcements, lots of little society dinners being held in the homes here, uh, along with a big lake beautification project that they did, and they called it a living memorial to George Willis's memory. So all of the trees and shrubbery around Lake Avondale today, that is the story why they were planted there. There was also a really sweet article I came across about a local girl, Inez Frazier, um, who was writing 43 letters a week to soldiers stationed around the world. So now this brings us to the post-war era, which is sort of like Avondale's second life. I've spoken about this in other episodes, but there is a huge demand for housing for returning GIs, and there's housing shortages all over the U.S. In 1951, the first apartment building in the city of Avondale Estates was built on Covington Road. Also, all of the rustic woods around the lake are developed, as well as the remaining two-thirds of the master plan. And this is why, at least when I first biked through the neighborhood, my first thought was like, wow, this is an amazing mid-century neighborhood. Look at all these great brick ranches. And I'm a little partial because I live in a 1964 brick ranch. Um, But as I turned the corner, I started to see the 20s and the 30s houses. And I was really confused until I sat down to do this research and it all came together. There are amazing mid-century homes in this neighborhood. Um one of them made the paper in 1954. It was the home of Charlie Davidson on Wind Drive. It was extraordinary for being made of redwood and sod granite. Before we end today, I will make a mention of schools and churches, although unlike other neighborhoods I have covered, Avondale Estates got its first main church, Avondale Baptist, in 1926, and then any mentions of churches just go silent. I think there was a Catholic club that met inside some houses but that was it. I read that Willis did not allow them or desire them as part of his master plan. As for the school, there was a school built in 1924-25 with that land he donated, but I'm unable to confirm if this is the same structure of what today is Avondale Elementary. Um, I don't think so. Avondale High School was built in the mid-50s and that coincided with that post-war boom. As for well-known residents, I think this could be its own episode, Um, but most notable among them is Tom Forkner, who went on to start Waffle House, which had its first location in Avondale Estates, just not too far from the entrance there. Sculptor Augustin Borglum, I tried, who created the carvings at Stone Mountain, actually stayed in the neighborhood while he was working on them. Um, This makes sense because George Willis was president of the Stone Mountain Confederate Memorial Association. Avondale Estates was able to bypass the white flight that occurred all over Metro Atlanta in the late 50s and 60s. And there's a lot of discussion and opinions surrounding um, how and why it did that. Truly could be a whole other episode. But I will say that the city passed an ordinance forbidding signs of any kind even for sale signs, that most speculate kept blockbusting from happening. And this blockbusting was a practice uh, of getting neighbors to sell their home cheaply with the fear that Black families were buying up the block. And so this sign ordinance was around until, like, 2001. And that's the first time they started allowing for sale signs. In 1980, of the 1,313 residents of Avondale Estates, only 26 were Black, while being surrounded by a majority Black neighborhood and communities. There are also oral histories from black to cab residents explaining how it was not okay to even walk along the main Avondale Road past the neighborhood where the police would immediately stop you. And those, of course, are complicated stories to be delved into in another day. So there you have it the story of Avondale Estates, the unique English Tudor village gem that I think everyone should visit. Thank you guys for listening. Remember to leave a rating or review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. I hope everyone has a great weekend, and I'll see you next week.